this little platform. We're on a series, and um, this message is the benefits of the blood of Jesus, or the benefits of the cross, We're trying to get you to a place of faith by Easter, because Easter's going to go off this year. Uh, down at Oxford Falls, they've been praying and fasting. I know Phil Pringle has been praying and fasting. He usually does 21 days prayer fasting up till Easter, and so... Um, it's a powerful time, Easter, and it's the most important time for us as Christians. Um, everything that Jesus did on the cross is... Um, I might just put that right there, just down on that. Thanks, Richard. Give Richard a hand. He's awesome. Fantastic. Let's give our listeners online, because we go online with these messages. Uh, let's give them a, a, a hand. Let's say, yeah, all the best to you, wherever you're listening from. Uh, the messages go on the internet pretty quickly and they go out and we've got a lot of people listening to us and they're listening to these messages and we pray that they are being blessed by them. Great to have Garth back uh, from Africa and uh, he's going to tell us about that later with a presentation and so we thank God for his safe return and all that he was able to do through the great team, Pat Arncliffe and the great C3 Oxford team, and, and they've got some stories to tell, and we're going to let him do that. Uh, but if he falls asleep on the front row, we're going to excuse him. Only this morning, because he only got off the plane one o'clock this morning or something. I don't know. That's no excuse. Come on, you should be bright-eyed, bushy-tailed anyway, eh? Let's give the Lord another hand right there and say, Whoa! God is good. We're coming into Easter. And what is all this blood and guts... What does it all mean? And we're trying to get a handle on what the crucifixion of Jesus is about. And it's just not, you know, it is not just a time of, I guess, thinking somberly about, you know, this great price that the Lord paid. But I would like to say this, just turn that thing off, that'd be great. And uh, still alive. Number five is still alive. It's a movie, isn't it? And... Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to uh, teach, virtually teach, and, and, and share about this fact of what the covenant is about. And, and so the covenant is really about this magnificent arrangement that God has towards us as, man, as humankind, mankind. Are you with me on that? God has this humongous contract. He's made a pledge. He's made an oath that if we subscribe to it, if we agree to it, if we come into relationship with it, He is going to bless us outstandingly. You got a portion of that through the giving message. Andrew, you did brilliantly. Is that right? If you understood just one-tenth of what the covenant is about, of what the crucifixion is about, if you could understand why that great price... And I just want to say it here and right now. How would you, how would you look like if you took upon all the sin of the whole planet upon yourself. You'd pretty be pretty well disfigured. You'd be marred, you'd be spat on, you'd be mocked by the mockers and you'd be ridiculed and you would be whipped and scourged by the murderers, by the haters and by the, the you know, and, and you would look a mess. And just to give you a handle why Jesus had to pay such a gruesome death, he took upon the sins and all the curses and all the sickness and all the poverty all, all the poverty, all the, all the ugliness of life, he took it upon himself and 
took it upon himself and took it to the cross and he paid a price and for it with his very blood. And so this new covenant is sealed by his blood. You know what I mean? There was another covenant by Jonathan and David. David, the Goliath killer, who was going to be king. Took him 13 years to become that king. He was on the run from Saul. But Jonathan, the son of Saul, befriended uh, David and gave him his weapon and said, I'm for you. I'm looking after your condition. I'm looking and gave him his weapon. Jonathan gave David his weapon and said, and that meant that to give someone your weapon was like huge in those days. It was like, it was like giving them your chainsaw, guys. It was like giving them... My dad tells me stories of pioneering when he built his own house and he gave his shovel to someone because everyone was migrants. They were building their own homes in the western suburbs of Sydney and tools were a precious commodity and he gave his shovel to someone. They didn't give it back. Oh, was he really... He was really antsy about that. You never borrowed someone's tools and didn't give them back. You were, you were really in the bad books if you gave someone your hammer or your saw or your shovel. You know what I mean? But Jonathan gave this, this weapon to David and said, I'm going to look after you. That meant that I'm in covenant with you. I'm going to be looking after your welfare. I'm going to be preserving you, protecting you. I'm making sure that all goes well with you. Everything that I have at my disposable, disposal in my authority, in my capacity, all my resource, all that I have, it's for you, buddy. When you need it, you just come knocking. I'm going to be there for you. Covenant was a big deal. So let's go to the word covenant and just, just go through this. What exactly is the new covenant God offers to man? Praise God. English word covenant means a written agreement or promise. You've got to understand there is a promise from heaven. Pledged. An oath has been made by God. An oath. Could you imagine? God is not a liar. If he's made an oath and a pledge to mankind and he's saying, you're going to be mine. I'm going to be with you all the days of your life. I really want to be around your life. I really want to help you, preserve you, bless you, prosper you. Would you let me do that through this magnificent plan, through this magnificent promise, through this magnificent arrangement called the new covenant? The old covenant was great. But it could never be appropriated by the people properly because mankind could never live up to the righteous standard. And they were always condemned by it. They were always felt short, uh, felt short by it. Do you know what I mean? That's why a lot of people don't come to church. They think, oh, how could I be a Christian? How could I come to church? How could I worship God like these people, cappy, clappy, hands up in the air? And, you know, well, you know, I couldn't do that. And so some people come to church and they go, I'm just a mongrel. I'm just a... I'm just, uh, God couldn't, couldn't look at me. But God, through Jesus' righteousness, through the cross, through everything Jesus did, you are righteous. You can come boldly with a strut, with a, with a smile, with your head held up high, and you can come, not, sw- not, not, not sassy, but I'm not talking about sassy. I'm not talking about sassy. Oh, hey, you're going, God, you know, as your mother's chooks, you know. No, 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 it's not like that. But you can come with dignity. You notice how rich people hold their head up. People have dignity. You get that sense they're looking down at you. But if you were, if you were doing well too, you'd be able to go toe to toe to them. Toe to toe with them and say, hey, I'm pretty good too. My bank account don't look all that great, but hey, my God, he smiles on me. He's for me. He's with me. I'm royalty. 
I'm one of the king's kids. I feel like telling some people that stuff, you know, when they try and look down at you. I go, no, man, you're not looking down on me, buddy. I'm the king's kid. I'm bought, purchased by the blood of Christ. I, I don't care. You can go into any social, any social standing, any social circles, and you can hold your head up high. You are forgiven. There's no condemnation, no fad, no peer pressure, no money system, no nothing should be able to push you down and cause you to be, you know, groping around like a like a like the hunchback of Notre Dame. You know, people don't know hunchback of Notre Dame, but that was a group. Who knows hunchback of Notre Dame? See, see, see. See, lost half the, half the church right there. Lost them. Half the church don't even know what I'm talking about. A written agreement. God, this is what you've got to understand. God created man for relationship. We know that. So all this covenant and this cross and this sacrifice prayed is all about God reestablishing a relationship with you and I. Who wants a relationship with God, by the way? Who's keen to have his smile on your shoulder? Sunshine on your shoulder makes me happy. And what's in the wrong key? <laughs> can you can you can you sing my key? <laughs> uh, set her up for a fall. New covenant and in Jeremiah. Let, let, let's just we're not going to go there, but Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one talks about there's a new covenant coming. This old covenant's not working out. People can't do it. People are not. God saying, God knew that people couldn't live up to this righteous standard. And so Jeremiah, the prophet, like fire shut up in his bones. He says this. He says, there's a new covenant coming, guys. It's a magnificent promise. It's a unique arrangement. It's just not the, a new covenant, which is a contrast of the old New meaning, this is unique. This is just not like a bigger TV set. You know, I'm bummed out, man, I bought my big TV set. But big wide thing, two and a half grand, now they're worth a thousand, now they've got more stuff. I'm just, you know, you try and put off buying this stuff, but everything keeps superseding, superseding. My first big wide TV set cost me five grand, and the next one cost me two and a half. I'm serious, man. I was there, right there, knocking at Harvey Norman, getting that first thing. I should never have done that. I should have just sat there with my little black and white one and waited for the, for the real deal to come out. The real deal is the new covenant. And I'm so glad we're born and living in the days of the new covenant. You with me? How is the new covenant unique and better than the old? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 8.6. Ah, praise God. Yeah, can you see that? What does it say? But the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. This covenant is so superior, so superior, it is founded on better promises. One of the key things about the new covenant, guys, these promises are far better. And do you want to know why? I'm going to help you realize why. Praise God. The first one, and you'll find this stuff in the book of Hebrews. I'm motoring through, man, because I want this to just, again, to be sort of a teaching sort of. I've got to get you, some of you people, to the cross, but through the cross. But I've got to get you to abiding in the covenant whereby you feel that your Father in heaven, that God Almighty, who paid this great price through Jesus, is so intentional to bless you not only 
to be in relationship with you, to be around you. But he so wants to bless you physically, spiritually, materially, socially. He wants to bless you out of sight. And it's all in the new covenant. Say the new covenant. Say it again. Say it again. Let's have a look at a few scriptures and see the dilemma of mankind in the old covenant. If you look at Deuteronomy 5.29, one of the number one huge factors that God does through the new covenant is this. We have a change of nature, a change of nature. Now, the scripture says in Deuteronomy 5.29, it says something. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined. This is God saying, oh man, I wish these guys would want to serve me. I wish they would want to do the right thing. I wish they would want to give to me. You know, it's such a great thing when people just love in their hearts to want to come to church and, and want to be there and love God and read their Bible and give to God. And, you know, it really, we don't want to twist people's arms and we don't want to have to, you know, we, we want to encourage you and just say, wow, this is the best thing that you could do is incline yourself to God. But God is actually inferring in this scripture in, in Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. And so God realizes he's got a problem. Um, Hebrews 8.10 or 8, no, Romans 8.3. I'm just going to fire some scriptures at you, give you an understanding of this huge promise of the change of nature. It's actually the internalization of the law of God. Romans 8.3. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. So this law was, the law of God is magnificent, was magnificent and is magnificent. But the sinful nature could not appropriate it. Are you with me? I mean, it was so exact. It'd be like this building code. And if you built a house, but even if it was out one mill, even if it was out one mill, even if something wasn't built to to one mill within the, the ordinance of the building code, you were in deep trouble. And the council were coming down big time on you, shutting your job site down, deeming it a wreck and unfit for suitable habitation. And guess what? You're, you're not doing so well now. So that's almost what the law was doing. The Old Testament was like, <gasps> shivers, I need a priest. Help me. I need a priest. Help me. <laughs> no. That's exactly the predicament of the Old Testament. And that's why they needed the priest who was this holy man. And he would go into the Holy of Holies, into the glory of God, and, and do this sacrifice for, the, for people's sins. And we don't have that anymore. That bull and goat stuff, and that's not part of the deal anymore. Jesus paid for it with his, with his blood, his own perfect blood. He said, it is finished. Forget the bull and goats. Forget all the tryhard and tryhards and tryhards and... You don't have to live on top of a pole. Some people used to live on a, on a 30-foot pole and live this aesthetic, aesthetic or something, that, uh, you know, like where they, 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 they allowed themselves uh, this, this position of solitude and they thought they were pleasing God. 
And they lived up the pole and they used to have food brought up to them and, and, and they would live there. One guy lived there for 28 years on a pole trying to honor God in his holiness, in his perfect sacrifice. No, we don't have to do that anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Hebrews 8.10, I'm moving along really quickly, I know. You need to jot these scriptures down, take them home. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. God gave the laws to Abraham verbally. God gave the law in stones. Came down off the mountain Moses and gave the law by stone. But now God's saying through this new covenant, through this uh, Hebrews 8.10, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And David wrote in Psalm 40 verse 8, why? Why did he do this? So that this would happen. So that this would happen. Like David, who had this huge disposition to, to, to be with God, to be around God and to speak to God and to worship God and to praise God and to commune with God and inquire of God. But God wanted everyone to be like that, but not everyone could be like David. Are you with me here? Not everyone could be like David. So this scripture in Psalm 40 verse 8, I delight to do your will. You know anyone who's like that? Because in the Old Testament and before you're saved, it's probably not your delight to do this. I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is in my heart. Somehow God had got his spirit in David. David secured this sacred place with God. But just one of David, man, that's not going to get the job done. What can I do? What, what should I do? Here comes the new covenant. Here comes the new covenant. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is in my heart. Love that. Love that. Romans 8, 7. The sinful mind is hostile to God. There's no one hostile to God here, is there? I hope not. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Oh, that's not good, is it? That's not good. And so God says, no, I need, I need to have a, I need to change the hearts. I need to, I need to, these people need an encounter with me. They need, they need their hearts converted. They need their hearts converted to me. They need a conversion process. Say conversion. Ten people saved on Friday night. What happens here when people give their life to Jesus? This is one of the promises of the new covenant. That if they say yes to Jesus, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The miraculous thing is, is that when those 10 young souls came out on this altar Friday night, that if they said yes to Jesus... That God's Spirit would hear their words of confession 
And that the Spirit of God would come in to their hearts and that they would have a conversion experience. It can happen. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. I'll agree with that. But sometimes by someone simply saying, Jesus Christ, you're my Lord and Savior, they can be saved. And their heart is converted. Now, hang on, be with me, be with me. In the conversion process, there's, there's now an ability to do as David said. I delight to do your will. All of a sudden, their conscience perks up. That's wrong. That's right. That's good. That's bad. All of a sudden, you've put those 10 kids in a dilemma. A dilemma whether to appropriate and walk out all this great stuff that God has for them. Some people say, look, I don't want that much of God. Uh, I don't want that much. Uh, Look, I'm just happy to know that I'm I'm sitting pretty with him and that one day I'll go to be in heaven. And so, but those others that say, well, what is it really about? What's, what's, What's really the intention of this God and Jesus? What's really the intention of the new covenant? That's where, that's where I think we need to get. I think we need to, to look at the fine print of what this arrangement is about. Who's up for that? Who, and that's what I'm trying to do. Week in, week out. What's Easter about? Jesus paid a price. I don't know why he got, why, why he had to do that, but no, it's all for this amazing reason to enact this new covenant, this new arrangement for us to be blessed. The second powerful thing that Jesus does through the new covenant is the second one, forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. Ah, praise God. Is it 1 Samuel 59 one? No, it's one as it's Isaiah fifty-nine one. Isaiah fifty-nine one. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Who loves that scripture? But your iniquities, oh, here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma for our friends and family. Here's the dilemma for us that need Jesus. But your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Hebrews 8.12, for I will forgive, hang on, here comes Jesus, here comes Jesus, here comes the new covenant, here comes salvation, here comes the new covenant, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And Matthew 26.27, then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them. This is the last supper before the Easter weekend. This is the last supper. This is Jesus saying, this is it, guys. I'm going to the cross. My blood will be shed for the new covenant, for the remission of sins. My blood must be shed. And he's in the upper room now and he says this. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for many, many. How many more people should be in this church? It doesn't say this is 
this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for a few, for a few selected chosen ones. This is for all people. This covenant, salvation, and all that it means, it's for everyone out there, guys. It's so huge. It's such a blessing. It's so, the promises are better than the old promises. This is, this is the best thing that has ever hit the planet. This is the best thing that has ever happened to this planet, this new covenant that was created, that was cut by the blood of Jesus. I should move along. The third thing is this. The third major promise of the new covenant, amen, is eternal inheritance, a never-ending relationship with God. Who's, who's in for that? Never, who wants to be with God? Never-ending. Like here and then, hang on, they're on their deathbed, they go, it's cool. I'm going to be with him, man. It's an unfortunate thing when you see someone die without God. You see the toughest guys, fearful. One of my good mates who said of his father, he was a tough guy around the, uh, the western suburbs area. He would, um, even in his older age, he would pick the young guys in fights. He was a real bruiser. And uh, he was a guy that we would sort of look up to because he could handle himself. He was a tough guy. But it was unfortunate years later when I met up with his son, who was a good friend of mine, and he said, I couldn't believe it. Uh, and this guy's not saved. I couldn't believe it. My dad, he died. I said, oh, gee whiz, sorry to hear that. He said, no, but he died and he was... He was so fearful. I'd never seen him like that. My dad was always so tough. But in his last dying hours, he was so fearful of what was going to happen to him in death. I'd never seen my dad. It left such a scarring in my friend's life. He really didn't know where he was going. So one of the, the third most major promise that we have in the new covenant is that we're going to be with him forever, guys. That we're with Him now, that He's around us and we're with Him. The third major promise that we have. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We're joint heirs with God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're seated in heavenly places. All that God's is ours. The cattle on a thousand hills that Andrew mentioned. All the gold and the silver, all the joy, all the peace, all the righteousness, all the victory, all the health. It's ours. Because what happened on that day when Jesus paid for his life? What happened is that he paid all this stuff for us. Hebrews 2.3, and I'm nearly done. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? It says in Hebrews 2.3. This is, guys... This is such a great salvation. Can you see that? Oh, this salvation's all right. Yeah, I got some salvation on the weekend. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah, I had a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to that church, C3 Tugger. Oh, yeah, what was it like? Oh, not as good as, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was all right, but, oh, no, no. If you, if you had full conversion, if you've had that encounter with God, you, you, man, people say all over the world, oh, how great is this salvation. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me, guys? What Man, I, the peace, I've never had peace like this. 
the torment that was in my life. Now, peace. My, my, my body was racked with pain, hurt, injury, discomfort. I gave my life to Jesus at C3 Tugger, and my body's healed. The doctors are saying, my body's healed. There's no cancer. There's no bone deformity. There's no disease. Why didn't you tell me about this great salvation? Man, I was stone broke. I couldn't get a job. Everywhere I looked, the doors were, were, were slammed on my face. I gave my life to Jesus. I got a job the next day. Someone rang me and gave me a job. And you didn't tell me about this great salvation? I've been doing hard yards. I've really been doing hard yards. I needed this great salvation a long time ago. Weren't you confident of it? Weren't you confident about it? Couldn't you just give me an inkling? Couldn't you give me the heads up? Let's all stand, God bless you. I'm done. The old covenant law commanded good things I've got here. The, the, the old covenant law stands, and we keep reading it because it's still true. We, we, we keep quoting the Old Testament. People says, oh, the Old Testament. We, we shouldn't go there. Hang on. No, those promises are still promises, and they're all good. But the new covenant, the promises are better. The, prom the old covenant law commanded good things, but only the gospel, say the gospel, could fully confer them. The righteousness demanded by the law was only supplied with the redemptive work of Christ. Through the cross, Lord, you set me free from sin. I'm going to pray right here, right now. If you still don't think it's a great salvation, just close your eyes right now. Through the cross, you set me free from sin. You set me free from sickness. Jesus, you set me free from the devil. Lord, you set me free from poverty. You set me free from the curse of the law. That law that I couldn't attain to, that I couldn't please. That law that would judge me unfit to be in your presence. Jesus, you've made a way for me. Set free from us. You've been set free from yourself from your nature that didn't want to delight in God. You've been set free from yourself, your, your nature, your sinful nature. God has given you the power inside, inside your very heart. God's Spirit has been poured into your heart. You have the ability and you have the desire and the motivation to please God. Who believes that? You've been set free from the world, Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Lord, you have rescued me, my family, my wife, my children, my husband. You've rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lamentations 1.9 says that, that Israel, she did not consider her destiny. She did not consider the covenant. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. Jerusalem had an awesome destiny, but her failure to consider, consider it led to an awesome collapse. And the last thing I want to say to you, the covenant is all about love. How do you live in the covenant? 
You feel the love, man. You get into that love. You walk in the love. The covenant is all about the great love of God towards humanity. So, Father, we stand as a church. We stand on the precipice of going into this Easter season, believing that this Easter, Lord God, is a powerful declaration of God's love to a fallen world, to a world that's separated from you, God, to our friends and family that need salvation. They need healing. They need prosperity. They need joy, peace, and righteousness. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you for our salvation. And let's sing that right now. Let's seal that in song. Let's seal that in the power of God. Because you're with me. Because you're with me. Because you're with me. Because you're with me, my God. I will not fear. Because you're with me. Your love is towards me. I receive your love. Because you're with me. Jesus, stand in the love. 